Help keep Kinks and Beats Daily alive with a $4 monthly contribution and receive exclusive bonus episodes as our thank you to you. Visit herohabit.com slash shop for more details. Hello, hello, hello. This is Tony Fry, your host, and this is Kinks and Beats Daily, your favorite podcast devoted to the music of the Kinks and the Beatles. All right. Today is episode 177. It's a lot of episodes we've done. And we are talking about kind of a deep cut, uh, as deep a cut as you can get with the Beatles, called Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey, the longest song title in the entire Beatles catalog. And it was released November 22nd, 1968 on the White Album. It's the fourth track of Side 3. It's a double, double disc album. And this song is one you can point to when you want to convince those fools who say the Beatles were just a pop band that they don't really understand much about music. Because from the opening chords to Paul's bass breaks at the end, this song rocks. And the 2018 remix gives it even more, you know, oomph and power and um, meat on the bones. The lyrics are admittedly a bit redundant and unimaginative. Um, But in this case, it works because Lennon's delivery of these vocals is one of his best rock performances with the band. And it's it's not it's one of those tunes that's not really about the words. It's about the sound of the words and the sound of the overall recording. Um, And in that respect, you know, it, it serves its purpose. These words are not supposed to be deep, introspective lyrics. They're supposed to be a delivery system for Lennon to just scream his, uh, his melody. The title was uh, supposedly sourced from two places. The bit about everybody's got something to hide except me was a saying that they heard from the Maharishi, who is a figure that inspired a lot of the work on the White Album, as most of it was written when they were in India at one of his retreats. And um, Sexy Sadie, of course, was originally called Maharishi. And the bit about And My Monkey was supposedly a nod to Yoko, who had um, kind of cruelly been portrayed as a monkey in a cartoon. So there's this uh, comic, you know, not a political cartoon, but in that realm, that features a monkey with Yoko's face digging its claws into John. And so... You know, John rightfully takes offense to that. This is the woman he loves, and they're and they're you know really harshly criticizing her, and um, so he adds that to this thing, and it, and it's a funny line and all that kind of stuff. There seems though to be debate and conflicting interviews and reports as to whether that part is actually true. So I might be spreading a Beatles urban legend. Paul McCartney has stated that he thought the monkey was a nod to Lennon's heroin use. He was really the only one of the four to go that hard into drug use. You know, the rest of them were smoking weed and doing LSD where, where Lennon at this point in their career was experimenting with heroin. And, um, and that is a common slang, you know, monkey on my shoulder uh, is like an old jazz term for heroin. So we may never know the true meaning behind the entire title, but you know, it is a cool long title that's basically the entirety of the chorus as well. 
For me, this song is cool from the very first note because it starts in a very weird way. And this is going to be hard for me to explain because it's actually hard for me to understand. So it appears to begin in, in, with a halftime groove, right? So even though the tempo is going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, Ringo appears to be going one, which is a halftime groove, but not actually in halftime. But then even that's not true because usually with a halftime groove, you put the snare on three. Right. So instead of going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, boom, boom, chak, boom, 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 chak, right? You'd put it on three and it gives the illusion that every two bars is one bar. So you're going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, boom, boom, chak, gong, 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 chak. So it feels like halftime, but it's not. It's still chugging along in regular four. But the rhythm on this, Ringo's not putting that snare on three. The rhythm guitar is playing on the upbeats of one, two, and three. So he's going one, and, and, and. All right? And you can hear that line repeat throughout the verse, which sounds much faster. And it and it's exactly the same rhythm at the perceived faster speed. So even though it feels like a halftime groove, the, the guitar is playing the same stuff that he would play at the regular time groove. Um, but what further confuses the rhythm is Ringo's drumming is he's hitting the bass drum on one, but his snare hit comes in on the end of two. So he doesn't wait till three. He hits it on the end of two, which lines up with, uh, what John's playing on, a, on rhythm guitar. And then his next bass hit is on the end of four. So you get one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, and one, two, three, four. All right. So you and then you've got the snare on the end of two. So you're going one and one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two and three. So this is very strange. And then, like I said, you've got those upbeats on the ends of one and two and three. And then you've got these faint hand claps that are on, um, they're clapping on the end of two, three, and four. So they are synced up with the last two bits of rhythm guitar and the bass drum. So they're going one, two, and three, and four, and. And then in the next bar, they're going one, two, and three, four, and. Bop, bop, bop. So it's not quite like a clave pattern, but it's, it's, it's similar to that where you've got that bump, gunk, 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 gunk. But instead of the bump, 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 he's going bump, bump, bump. He's adding an extra half beat rest. And that's in the hand claps. So it's a rhythm that's very difficult to nail down. And even reading the official score of the song with the music right in front of me, I'm not sure it's correct because you can't help but place the downbeats with the guitar part. But if you notice, it sounds as if, if you're listening, if you're tapping to where your uh, your internal metronome naturally wants to go, it sounds like there's a, a skip between the intro and when the song really starts. It sounds like the band is off, but they're not. It's actually perfectly placed. You, we're just interpreting that introduction wrong. Um. 
And if, if you think even reading, um, the score, like I said, it's tough to figure out in your head where it all comes in. And before you email me that I'm way off, I'm looking at the published score of the official, you know, published score of the Beatles. And I plugged it into music engraving software to get a computer perfect reproduction. And if you play what I just said as perfectly as a computer, it'll sound just like the Beatles. So this, this bit that sounds so loose and almost wrong and like they just slapped it together accidentally actually needs to be played with such precision to get it to lay correctly. And that's really a compliment to, uh, in this case, I think primarily just John and Ringo because, uh, to my ear, this rhythm guitar part is a John part. And then George comes in with that lead 16th note run, you know, when the song goes and Paul's there's no bass at this point. Um, so this is John and Ringo just being completely locked in and, you know, completely in tune with each other rhythmically. This is deceptively difficult. And, um, I, I forget somebody was talking about, uh, covering this song, a progressive rock band covered this song for some tribute album or something. And they were talking about, you know, we do all this progressive rock complicated stuff. We, we weird time signatures and all that. And we're blown away when we're trying to do, everybody's got something to hide with how crazy complicated it is. And you have to actually sit down and study it and work on it uh, to get it right. And a lot of great bands have tried and not been able to master, you know, listen to, uh, Fish did it live on one of the Halloween shows where they where they recreated the entirety of the White Album, and Fish for fantastic mu- musicians, incredible musicians. They don't really nail it in. This is a tough little thing. Uh, the band did hours of rehearsing and jamming to find the arrangement on June 26, nineteen sixty eight, and would begin proper recording with six takes the following night. And the track clocked in at three minutes and seven seconds during these sessions, but was mixed down um, and sped up on the mix down, which took the running time to 2.29. And then it would get sped up a little bit more, where it finally settled at two minutes and 24 seconds. So they shaved over 30 seconds of this song off by speeding up the tape. Uh, and Lennon's vocals were done on top of the sped up tape. So his voice doesn't sound all chipmunky, but this is a dramatic, uh, shift time shift to drop that much time off of it. Um, to speed it up that much is pretty dramatic. So that's why there's a lot of high end on this recording because of that. Uh, Everything about this track is high energy. It's loud. It's aggressive. Like I said, it's deceptively difficult and it's just fun. And it may not be the greatest Beatles song of all time, but it's definitely one worth digging into because like I said, the musicianship is stellar. Paul's bass playing on this is out of this world. And that bass break, they do a dung, 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 dung. That bass break is killer. And it's probably him playing the fire bell because he did his bass part as an overdub. So 
if you just look at who was available to play what, it's most likely that that fire bell that's just screaming on 16th notes through the whole thing, it's most likely that that is Paul doing it on the initial rhythm track. And he goes back and does his bass uh, overdubs later. And George is playing on it. You know, there's no guitar solo on it, but George is basically soloing for, you know, two and a half minutes. So it's a good one. Listen to the 2018 remix um, because it's just better balanced for listening on headphones. And it's got that, like I said, that extra power behind it. Um, and if you want to hear something truly interesting, track down the Fats Domino cover of this song. That's right, Fats. And I love Fats Domino um, a lot. He's one of my favorite of the founding fathers. But of all the Beatles songs I think his voice is suited for, this ranks pretty low on the list. And it is a very strange arrangement, but it's worth listening to. Um, in you know, almost as a novelty. So that's it. Everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. Uh, go listen to it. Share your thoughts. You can join our Facebook group. You can email me kinks and beats at herohabit.com. And like, you know, we keep saying we are looking for your contributions to our question of what is a Beatles or Kings song that you used to love that you now hate or that you used to hate. And now you love, and maybe this is on the list. Maybe you've grown an appreciation for this over the years as you uh, have gotten past the silly lyrics and can just get wrapped up in the energy and in the musicianship of this track. Let me know. 925-494-1739. All the information on how to get a hold of us, um, how to contribute to keep the show alive, and how to reach us can all be found at herohabit.com. So go visit there. And I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Thanks for downloading. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.